Uh, I want to start by thanking you for your prayers this last week. I, I told you that I was struggling last Sunday and um, uh, still not over that struggle, but definitely I uh, have felt your prayers and appreciate your prayers. Really uh, felt that, that God has, has taken away some of that burden. And so thank you for praying for me. I, I trusted that you were, and it's one of the reasons I'm so thankful for this church is, is that uh, Brent and I get to be a part of the church versus just some people that try to lead it while everybody gets mad at us. Uh, and, and I've seen that in churches, and I know that exists for a lot of pastors. Uh, but it's great to actually be a part of the church, get prayer, uh, know that, that you care about us and, and not just uh, and, and don't just want somebody that they can be upset with when things don't go right. Uh, so today we, uh, we continue uh, our study on waiting for God. It's the second week and the last week, a mini-series as we've called it. And I want to remind you of what today is because today is actually a really important day and uh, it's, uh, it's one of the liturgical holidays and it's the liturgical holiday called Epiphany and so uh, we'd have like the happy Epiphany Day song but that doesn't exist that I know of but today is the day we celebrate something that should be uh, very important to almost everybody in this room not quite everybody but almost everybody and that is that God came and, and made himself known to people who weren't Jewish uh, and we have trouble thinking about the importance of that because uh, our whole lives, you know, God has, has willingly accepted us and, and we haven't had to change our culture or anything to be part of his community. But before Jesus came to the earth, uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, people that were not Jewish really had to become Jewish in order to have a relationship with the God of the universe. And so it's really cool that God came down and and said, hey, I want to to open this up to all people, no matter how they dress or what they eat, and I want all people to have access to me and have a relationship with me. And so uh, to celebrate that for these two weeks, last week and this week, what we're doing is we're talking about a different definition of the word epiphany, uh, and that definition is this, a manifestation of a divine or supernatural being. And last week when we talked about this, we talked about waiting on God kind of in the present tense. We talked about sitting before God, opening up our Bibles, just waiting for Him to, to speak to us, to interact with us, to, to take us to another place with Him. And we kind of talked about sometimes just saying, look, I'm going to actively sit here and look forward to God doing something in my life because I realize that this situation, this problem, this sin that I have, it cannot be taken away aside from God doing something miraculous. And so I will wait for a manifestation of the divine. I will wait for God to do something great. And today we're going to talk really about waiting on a divine manifestation in a very different way, a more futuristic way, and I just need to get you caught up on who Jesus is before we move forward. And, and so there was this guy named Jesus who was born at a time called Christmas, and we believe that Jesus was God who, who came to earth, okay? And then that same man, Jesus, that we just celebrated during Christmas, lived a sinless life for 30 years. After 30 years, he was he was started his ministry and continued to live sinlessly, but he went around teaching and preaching to all the people in, in Judea and, and the surrounding areas. After about three years of that, he was brutally tortured and then killed upon the cross, we believe, in order to save people from sins by taking their punishment. 
After three days of being in the grave, he rose again on a day that we celebrate as Easter. And then, after uh, several weeks of showing himself off so that people could verify this resurrection, uh, Jesus left his disciples and ascended up into heaven. And he said that the Holy Spirit would come. But while Jesus was in those three teaching years, he talked a lot about how he would be away from them for a while, his disciples, his followers, Christians, and someday he would return. And oftentimes when he talks about that, he talks about it within the parameters of waiting for him. And today we're going to look at a passage and if you didn't know all that, then it'd be a little bit hard to understand. We're looking at a passage, Luke twelve thirty-five through 51, where Jesus is talking about coming back. It's something that you've heard called like the second coming, uh, the return of Christ, things like that, the end of the world as you know it, not the song, but that kind of idea. And this is the context in which Jesus is talking about. Someday I will come back to you. Now, before we look at the passage, I just want to offer one thing, and, and that is that uh, Jesus is going here to talk about being ready for his return, about waiting for his return actively. And, and here's what I found to be true. And before we look at the passage, I just, I just want you to get this in your heads because it's really important, and I think it will, it will kind of be the reason that, that what we talk about today uh, matters to your life. And, and that is this. The people who look forward to seeing Jesus again, especially through his return, are generally the people who live the best for God. The people who, who long to see the return of Jesus the most are generally the people who live for Jesus the best. That's a really important thing because we're going to look at this passage and you say, well, does it really matter if I like actively wait for Jesus or not? And, and Jesus will tell you that it does matter and he'll use some very like strong language. But, but I just want you to know kind of anecdotally that when I look around and I meet Christians and I talk to people, the people who look forward to the return of Jesus the most are the people who live for Jesus the best. My great grandma... Gigi, as I called her, uh, was really the epitome of this, uh, and, and her whole life was spent looking forward to the return of Jesus. She even watched something that I could never get behind too much, but she watched TVN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network on TV, if you've ever seen like guys that look like they're super rich and but they're preaching the word of god then you know the station right and uh i mean super nice suits and then they sit there and, and one of them jack van impey specifically uh talked about the return of jesus and it was every monday night and my great grandma was a very nice person very just if you were part of her family then she wasn't gonna be mean to you if you messed with her family she could be she could be a handful but but if you were part of her family then there was there was there was nothing that was going to upset her. You could, you could do anything to her, except try to bother her at 10 p.m. on Monday nights when Jack Van Impey came on TV. Because she wanted to sit there and she wanted to hear about scriptural prophecies that, that discussed Jesus coming because it was the thing that she looked forward to most in all of her entire life. And at her funeral, there uh, we played a song that, that really summed up, I, I think, what, 
what would have excited her, what, what she looked forward to. And, uh, and the song, I'll just give you a couple of lyrics, but, but it says that, that when, I, when I reached out my hand, the hand grabbing me back was the hand of God. And it said, when I breathed in, the air I breathed was celestial air. And, and, and it really was something not just like, yeah, it's cool that Jesus will come back someday. But for her, it was like, I just wish that I could wake up and reach out and grab the hand of Jesus. It was something that excited her, that she looked forward to, and she lived one of the greatest lives I've ever been around. Just as far as being serious about Jesus, about always trying to do the right thing, about about living out his principles and his teachings, and, and the two go hand in hand. And, and we'll see that as we look right here at what Jesus says. And, and if you want to open up Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 31, uh, we'll start with verse 35. It says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. There's a couple things here, and both of them basically say to us, wait for Jesus. The first is be dressed ready. And this is more literally, if you were to look at the Greek, to gird up the loins and the idea behind this is is that people when they wear long dress type things as they did in first century Palestine area long flowing robes they could not work very well and so if you were going to start doing work around the house or if you were going to run a race or if you were going to do anything active then you would take your long flowing bathrobe looking thing that you've seen Jesus in in pictures right and you would tie it up around your waist so that your legs had freedom of movement and so here what Jesus is saying is not be dressed and ready but really it's to tie up the garment that you're wearing in order that you can be ready for service it's really dangerous it's really difficult not to do this uh, because of things like my grandma my grandma and i I didn't tell her i was going to tell the story hopefully she'll forgive me she's a very nice person that looks forward to the return of jesus too uh don't say anything to her about this after church today because she'll probably be embarrassed and then mad at me and i have to see her at our connect group tonight so uh she broke her arm a few years ago And she tells you she doesn't remember what happened, but I can tell you what happened. She was walking on a treadmill in her bathrobe. Right? Like, we understand that's not a good idea. Like, you're not ready for a race. You're not, I mean, how well can you run on a treadmill with a bathrobe on? And so Jesus is saying, basically, hey, look. Tie up your bathrobe because I want you on the treadmill. I want you ready for action. 1 Kings 18.46 really describes this in the New King James Version. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab. And so we see this idea of getting ready for some type of action. The other part of this is that it says, keep your lamps Burning. Now, for us, that's not something that seems very difficult, right? I mean, we are like, we live in a, we have flashlights and we turn on lights and we, I mean, all I have to do is flip this little switch right here, maybe, and and I have lights, right? Uh, But for a first century Jewish person to whom Jesus is talking, trying to keep lights when it was dark outside was not that easy of a task because you would have to make sure that you constantly had 
oil, and you would have to make sure that the wick on a candle was constantly trimmed. And before studying for this sermon, I didn't even know that you had to trim a wick on a, on a candle. I just thought you let them burn. But, but that's what would have had to take place. And so Jesus is not saying like, hey, you know, just flip on a light switch. He's saying that you need to like actively, actively work to stay ready. Now here, just in the first line, the first opening phrase, be ready and keep your lamps lit. I mean, Jesus is saying quite clearly, I want you to be ready for me to return. I want you to wait on my return. We know how this kind of looks in life a little bit. I mean, we know what the difference is between like I'm waiting for you and I'm, I'm like actively waiting for you. And in my marriage, it goes something like this. Uh, if we're running late somewhere, then it's an argument to see whose fault it is. That's kind of how it goes. And, uh, and so uh, I just start throwing out I'm in the car, right? But I might not have pants on uh, or a shirt on or shoes on but I'm like hey I'm ready when you are I'm in the car and and Bryn knows now that it means nothing at all Uh, but there's she knows the difference right like if I'm sitting on the couch and I have my shoes on and I'm fully dressed and and I'm sitting there waiting or if I've already gone to the car and started it then I'm waiting for her right but when I'm still in the shower and I'm like Bryn I'm ready to go I don't know what your problem is if you stop doing your hair we could leave and be on time then she knows that that's not serious. And I think Jesus is saying, look, I want you to be ready for my return like you're sitting on the couch, you're looking out the window, expecting me to come back at any moment. I want your loins to be girded and your lamps to be lit. I want you to be ready for me. This isn't like I'm waiting, hey, sure, come whenever you want. This is like I await the coming of Jesus. Verse 36 through 38, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself ready to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. Let me read it again. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. You see, this is not just like, I kind of think I'm ready for the return of Jesus. This is like, I am looking for the return of Jesus. I am awaiting his return. I mean, think what it takes to be able to, like, immediately open the door for somebody. I mean, you have to be, like, sitting there. You've got to be looking out the window. You have to be expecting them. You have to be uh, dressed and ready to go. I mean, this is not like sleeping, saying, sure, when he gets home, I'm ready to go. I mean, this is like, when will they come back? The person who has this down the best, maybe I shouldn't say person, is my dog. 
Uh, and, and my dog, he, when we leave him, he didn't get left a lot as a, as a, I almost said a kid, which then you really would have thought I was a psycho, but, uh, uh, when he was just my wee baby and we could hold him in our arms and, uh, when he was small, he didn't get left a lot. And that, that started because he was a very sick puppy. Uh, one of the reasons we're so close to him, I think, is that, uh, we were cleaning up his poop in the middle of the night for like two months at the beginning. It was like having a baby. Uh, it was, it was very difficult. It was, it was actually, I, I understand what all of you new parents are going through because it was straining on our marriage, to be honest. Like when you're arguing about how to clean up poop at 2.30 a.m. and you have to be up at 6, it's not very good. Um, but uh, that was all side note. Uh, so my dog is not used to being left alone because he stayed with my grandparents. Then they loved him and he got healthy and he kept going there every day of his life. But now we moved up into Wilsonville and so he gets left and he sits and he stares directly out the window and he looks and this is how you know that he's paying such good attention because you can barely get to the door without him acting like he has been shot right i mean before you're like halfway up the sidewalk and you're and and that lasts about like 10 minutes or something and so you know he's staring out and every now and then if you're really sneaky and it's dark you can get up there and and you you can get to the door and you see that he's totally fine he is not dying and and he's just laying there but most of the time he's staring out the window and and he is locked in just thinking when is my dad and my mom going to come back i mean i can't take this because i need them to be here with me for whatever reason that might be and and this i think if we could just learn a lesson from my dog all of you could do well to learn from my genius dog roy and that is this jesus is describing that type of waiting when it comes to his return i mean it's it's humbling right because when you think about your life compared to to roy's and you, you think, well, Jesus is my master. I mean, he is my Lord and my Savior. But yet you kind of live like it doesn't matter that he's gone right now. I mean, you kind of live like, well, sure, I'm, I'm yeah, Jesus, will come. I'm kind of looking forward to that. It's fun to talk about every now and then. And, you know, I'm a Christian, so it'll be cool. I mean, if we can get to the cool stuff, that's great. But you're not like staring out the window saying when Jesus comes, door open, because... I long to see my master, my Lord, my Savior so much. There's a difference between what Jesus kind of describes here and what most of us live out. And, and he even adds like this, it'll be good for the people whose master finds them at the middle of the night or towards daybreak. That actually literally is like the second and third watch of the night. And Romans had... Uh, Three watches of the night. And so this would have been like 9 to noon or 12 to 3 a.m. in the morning is what Jesus is saying. And if you're like me, if you're waiting for somebody, I might be able to get to the midnight hour. But if I'm waiting and I'm looking for somebody, generally I don't care about them or what they're bringing me or what they if they need to get into my house. If it moves to like 12 to 3 a.m. It's like you can sleep outside uh, if, I was, if they were going to stay in my house. I don't care about anything after those hours. And so Jesus' point is quite clear here. No matter how long it seems like it's taking, no matter how difficult it becomes... We need to be looking, waiting, expecting, being ready for the coming back of Jesus. And then he says just this crazy thing. That is just, I, it's, it's really, it's like, really, did he say that? Because it makes no sense. It says, 
that if we do that, if we are ready, if we are awaiting Jesus, then he will dress himself to serve. More literally, he will gird himself to serve. This is a powerful wordplay, and it's something that, that I'm sure his disciples could not even fathom. When Jesus dropped this line in the middle of the parable, they would have been like, that's not, that, that can't be real. Um, because this, this is the thing, masters did not serve their servants. It just didn't happen. I mean, they live in a very different culture than us, and, and we, we, we try to respect people who work under us, at least most people do. But that, in the first century, that's not even like a thing. Like, you don't, you don't serve the people that serve you, that are part of your hired help. That doesn't exist. I mean, the closest that we can do in, in America is to look back at, at the tragic era of slavery in our country and think about a, a slave master serving their slave. Just wouldn't have happened. I mean, that's not even something that people could fathom. And even more is that the disciples who are looking at Jesus and who are having this interaction with him in this parable or listening to this firsthand, they're looking at Jesus as the Messiah. So he's not just like a master. He is like the ultimate king of the world who has come to set things right for the Jewish people and everybody that exists on the planet. And so the thought of him girding himself up to bend down and serve somebody is just something that they could not even have understood or grasped or agreed with. I'm sure in their minds they're like, mm, not going to happen. We actually see that in the book of John. At the end of Jesus' life, he gets down on his hands and knees. He girds himself up to wash the, the disciples' feet. And after he's done 11 of the disciples' feet, he gets to Peter. And Peter says, no way. No way. You are not going to wash my feet. Because they can't, they can't even fathom this. And it's amazing because we believe, as I said earlier, Jesus is God who's come to earth. And it tells us in Philippians 2 that he did not come to be served, but to serve. And it tells us, and this is just crazy, that we, if we are willing to wait for him, will be served by him someday. Now just, this is God come to earth who died for your sins. That's what we believe. And he's saying, if you're waiting for him, that despite the fact that he did everything for you, he will once again serve you. That's like not fair. I mean, we love fair in our world. That's not fair. Jesus deserves all of our service. We deserve none of his. But yet, if we are waiting for him, what a trade. If we are dressed and ready to serve him, then we, we will be served by him. And, and he even adds, I will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. So we're like sitting at a banquet. It's actually described as the messianic banquet in, in biblical terminology. And Luke fourteen fifteen says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the coming kingdom of God. The guy was right. I mean, he knew that Jesus' return would be like a giant feast. And Jesus goes on to use that sentence to tell another parable about being ready for his return or not getting in to the feast of God. Now, here's for me. I mean, like, if you just, if I knew nothing about heaven, zero, nothing, except for the God of the universe would be my waiter and I would have food 
prepared by him, that I'm ready to go. In fact, that's good enough reason for me to wait on Jesus right there. I mean, like, okay, if you're going to come and you're going to come with food, then I'll stay up till 3 in the morning. That works for me. That's a fair trade for me. And uh, if you just think, just for a moment, I want you to think about food because we really like it. I mean, we did a series on gluttony last year, and um, and hopefully you are not a glutton and you've worked to just eat the way God wants you to eat. If you uh, if you forgot all about that series or you weren't here a year ago, go back and listen to it. CreeksideBibleChurch.org backslash the skinny glutton. And we're actually going to do a series on laziness coming up that kind of goes with that. It's like a sequel a year later. Uh, just next week we'll begin that and I'm looking forward to it. But like... I'm a person who tries not to be a glutton. I'm not always good at it, but I've come a long ways in my quest to conquer gluttony. And I'm a person who has MS, and so there are things that I cannot eat. And so the thought of, like, heavenly food is wonderful. This is what I'm going to eat in heaven. I have some pictures for you, I believe. Uh, I was told by Kate yesterday uh, about a place called uh, the Waffle Window. And so Kate tells me about this place, and I Google it. And these are the pictures I get. There's a chocolate-covered waffle. There's an apple pie waffle. There's that piece of heaven over there. I don't know what it is. This is like a peanut butter-topped uh, chocolate waffle, I believe. This is a bacon waffle. And this is some kind of caramel sundae waffle. And so I'm, go- I'm scrolling down, and I'm like, I'm going there today. My cousins were in town. We were going out to eat. Like, I will be at the waffle window. And then I read, or I call, actually. I call and I say, do you have gluten-free waffles? And they, in Portland, Oregon, say no to me. Like, you need to go down to a different state or something if you're not going to offer it. And, and so this, this right here has now become, just look at it with me and drool. This is the new picture of heaven. Luke 12, 39 through 40. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. This statement is called a second-class conditional sentence or a contrary-to-fact condition, which means this. Let me just restate the, uh, the, the verse for you. If the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, which he did not, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into, which it was. Now, here's what Jesus makes very clear in his ministry and his teaching, and that is that you do not know, you will not know when his return is coming. Second Peter 3.10 says it this way, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Jesus is saying, look, you're not going to back and so you need to be ready always you cannot predict it you cannot figure it out from scripture and you need to be ready always now there's two types of people in our world today quite clear especially in christian circles there are two types of people there are those who do their best to predict the end of the world when jesus will return Uh, i Mentioned this to somebody already this morning. It's funny that it's 2014 because the world was supposed to end in 2012. Uh, the Mayan calendar said that it would, and so therefore Jesus must be coming back. That's pretty much what I spent a year reading. I mean, the Mayan calendar says it, and we can make it work through some Bible numbers. Then Jesus must be coming 
back. I heard there's a new one. I haven't actually read it yet, but somebody told me there's a new prediction for the end of the world. It's going to keep happening. Uh, it's a huge money-making business, to be honest with you, to predict the end of the world. If I wanted to get rich, I would write a book right now telling you when Jesus would be coming back. And so that's one side of it, is to say, look, Jesus is coming back here. On the other side of our people who are like, I don't care when Jesus comes back. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's not a thing to me. I don't even think about it, whether Christian or not Christian. It's just not even inside of my thinking that Jesus will return someday and and come back to the earth. And these sides are both bad. Instead, we must always be looking and waiting for the coming of Jesus. Not because we know a date, because we don't, but because Jesus might come back at any time. The way we live is like this. I'll lock my door the day the thief is going to rob me. That's how we live life. I mean, like, we either try to figure out when the thief is coming or we just don't care. And we're like, eh, if I know a thief is coming, then I'll lock the door. That's how we treat Jesus. I will tell you this. Just a week ago, 10.45 a.m., Somebody tried to break into our house, in the front of our house, in the middle of condos, idiots, uh, with people all around, they tried to break into our house. And Jesus' point here is that you don't know. You cannot predict when he's coming, and so you must be ready now. And Peter asked this great question, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? We don't know why Peter asked this. I mean, maybe he's thinking like, I'm already a Christian, I'm ready to go, you know, whatever. Maybe he's thinking like, well, Jesus isn't going to leave us. He's the Messiah, so maybe it's for a future generation. We don't know, but listen to Jesus' answer. He doesn't say, this is just for non-Christians, people that don't know me. He says this, the Lord answered, when is the faithful and wise manager? Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing this when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. He doesn't really answer Peter's question, right? He just says the same thing again. He says, who's the wise person? It's the person whom I find ready waiting for my return. There's something you need to notice here. It says it will be good for that servant. The word good is the Greek word makarios, and it means far more than good. It's a far more impressive word than whatever you think about when you think of good. Uh, it it uh, is a word that's said three times in this passage, and so it's something that's being repeated. It's really important for Jesus to get this across to you. And it's a word that is used in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says blessed. Blessed is how we sometimes say it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Same word. And it's a word that the Greeks used for the gods. And they used it for their gods because the gods had unlimited resources. But they also had unlimited ability to use those resources. This is like you have the greatest chocolate cake. I must be hungry today. The greatest chocolate cake that you've ever had. But your stomach never gets full and you never get fat. You can just keep eating it forever and ever because you have that ability. That's the word that's being used here. That's how they use it for the gods. And for us what it means, what us, for us what it is, is internal satisfaction that is not based on external circumstances. That's the definition. Internal satisfaction that is not based on external circumstances. And so what Jesus is saying is that if you are waiting for him, 
than a byproduct is that you can have internal satisfaction that is not dependent on who's been nice to you, who's been mean to you, how much money you're making, the things going on in your life. And then he says he will put these people in charge of all his possessions. Now, that's not something that everybody likes. And uh, sometimes when I'm really busy, I think like, I don't really want to be put in charge of possessions. I just want to eat waffles when I'm in heaven. I mean, that's way simpler. Uh, But this is something that you should long for. Just think about the world in which we live. And and when you look around and and you see people that that are not doing anything, it's generally a depressing state. In fact, lots of people become depressed when they're out of work. It's a struggle in our world right now because of, of the unemployment rates. Uh, and you've probably experienced this in your own life. I mean, if you're not doing something, then it's really not that joyful. And so while our, the busyness of our lives kind of makes us think like, well, when Jesus comes, I don't want to do anything. I think really deep down and somewhere inside of us that's beyond the busyness and the struggles that we have, we have an innate desire to do something and to do something well and to do something that matters. And nothing will matter more than spending eternity in charge of Jesus' possessions. And he says that is promised to all who are waiting on him. Now, Luke twelve forty-five through 48, it's the negative side of things. But suppose the master says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Jesus gives the negative side of what he's just said. If you wait for me, things will be great for you. I'll serve you. You'll have great food. You'll be put in charge of stuff. It'll be a great role. If you don't, you'll be cut to many pieces, you'll be beaten. In other words, you'll be sent to hell. This is a pretty sobering fact. I mean, Jesus looks at people and says, if you're not waiting for me, then you will be sent to hell. And, and it's interesting because he's talking to his disciples when he says, I mean, Peter says, hey, is this for us? Is this something that we need to pay attention to? Jesus says, This is the situation. Live for me. You get heaven. Don't. Don't wait for me. And you get hell. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And here's the thing. It's the important thing for us. Much has been given to us. We live in America. We have tons of resources. You have access to the Bible You can get a Bible so easy now, easier than ever before. You have access to pastors. You have access to lots of fellow Christians. You need not worry about having Christian conversations. I mean, the truth is that every one of you who sit in front of me, much has been given to you. And what Jesus is saying, quite clearly, is that he expects very much from you. Now look, this is is the thing that's really important is that Jesus wants you to hear that right now in this moment you need to start acting 
like he might come back at any time. Now, for some, the work that you need to do is simply believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus says that elsewhere. That he says, what is the work you want us to do? As somebody asked him then, Jesus responds by saying, the work is to do the will of my Father, and that's to believe on me. See, some of you are, are not even thinking about Jesus coming back. And you're living like there, it doesn't matter, like whatever. I just, I'm going to go through my life and I'm going through day to day and I need to do what I need to get done. But the thought of Jesus coming back right now has not even crossed your mind. And the truth is, if you don't believe that Jesus died on a cross to save the world and you have not offered him your life, that if he returns right now, and I don't always want to be this guy that tries to scare people out of hell, but the truth is, it's what Jesus is doing. If you're that guy, then Jesus says it's hell to pay for you. He says, look, you can have all this heaven. You can have this great time for eternity that's perfect and all the sorrow and pain and suffering has gone away and you get great food and I serve you. But if you are not ready, if you have not given your life to me, if you have not accepted me as your Savior and your Lord saying, I will spend the rest of my life living for you, then you will be cut into pieces and be beaten with many blows. That's pretty sobering. I just want you to hear it because we don't know when Jesus is coming. I mean, Jesus might come before the end of the day. I think all of us understand that you might die before the end of the day. And there will be no second chance. There will be no second chance. And so right now you can say like, I'm just kind of living and I'll get around to accepting Jesus when... When I'm older, when I'm done with my fun, when life is easier, when I feel like it, you might go to hell because you chose to wait until later instead of waiting for Jesus. Look, I'm not mean. I don't want you to go to hell. I kind of wish this wasn't in there. But that's why I have to tell you the truth. I mean, some of you have not given your life to Jesus. And if he comes back right now, right in this moment, then you'll go to hell. And you'll spend eternity there instead of eternity in heaven. This morning, you just need to make a decision. I mean, put all your excuses. I mean, like, when I have it perfectly proved to me that there's a creator. Or, you know, when, when, I, when there's a Christian, when a Christian shows me that they're very sincere. Or whatever it might be, just put away the excuse and, and decide to get waffles instead of hell. I mean, it's an easy decision. You already know that you're a sinner. You already know somewhere deep inside of you that you deserve. That you deserve punishment. That you have wronged God. And if you are not thinking about that, if you've never thought about it or you haven't thought about it in a long time, it's because you've suppressed it. Somewhere inside of you, you already know that you need a Savior. And the Bible, the story, says Jesus is that Savior. And to have that salvation, all you need to do is say, I believe it. And Jesus, I offer you my life. It's that simple. You don't need me to lead you through a prayer. You don't need me to to give you magic words. You just need to say, Jesus, I believe it. I give my life to you. And some of you need to do that today. And maybe some of you are thinking like, oh, he's just trying to scare me or whatever. I didn't, I didn't, I said this a couple weeks ago, but I didn't call you by name. That's the Holy Spirit trying to get you into heaven. 
God desperately wants you in heaven. And he says that in his Bible. He says, I desire all men to come to me. But there's others of us. We are Christians. We are Christians, but yet we are not waiting for God. And we have things in our life that we know if right in the middle of those things that we were doing wrong, the sins that we were committing, or the things we weren't doing that God has called us to do, if He came back right then, we would be ashamed and embarrassed. And we don't believe that we'll go to hell, but we must heed the warning of Jesus here. And we must say, man, what if God comes back? Now, what is it that I'm doing? What is it that I'm not doing that God has called me to do or not to do? And this morning, as we look at this passage, if we were truly going to wait on Jesus, if we were going to actively sit there and look for him, then we gotta, then we got to remove those things or add those things to our lives. There's one time when Roy doesn't wait for me when I'm out of his presence to go back to my dog. And it's only happened a few times, thankfully, because he doesn't generally... Uh, disobey me to be honest but but it, it's if i accidentally leave something this happened with gluten-free super expensive bread twice if i leave something that he can get to food wise and i leave him long enough and he eats it and then he's not waiting for me at all he's like in a corner thinking he doesn't really pray so take this as a joke please dear god please let him never come back <laughs> i mean that's that's and you get in and immediately he's like trying to crawl under our couch which is not possible and it's like oh help me he's going to kill me he's going to kill me and some of you need to to look at this passage where Jesus says to wait on him and you need to look at your life and you need to say like man if Jesus comes back right now I'm going to try to crawl under the couch because I really don't want to see him I mean I really I, I you might be like, well, I'm a Christian and I have to root for Jesus' return. But really, when you examine your life, it's like, I don't, I don't want you to come back now. I want you to come back later. I want you to come back later once I've kind of decided that I'm going to give this thing up or I'm going to start serving him in really awesome ways. Some of you need to just make a decision this morning to say, I'm going to live my life. And this is how I always try to live my life. I'm going to live my life in a way that if Jesus returns right now, we can just continue the conversation that we've already been having and we can start talking about the things I was trying to accomplish for him. Where it's not like, hey, we really need to talk about that thing you were doing wrong, but it's like, man, I really thought we were going to get that person into heaven. Really thought that was going to happen. Hey, it was great talking to you this morning. I could really sense your presence. Man, God, that was really cool experience the other day. Like, I really enjoyed that you blessed me with that. I mean, some of you this morning, you're Christians. You try to live for Jesus, but you have not taken seriously enough the fact that Jesus might come back at any time. And this morning, it's time for you. It is time for you to say, man, Jesus might come back at any moment, and i got to make the changes in my life. i got to make the changes in my life that allow for me to be excited for his return and not to dread it. I'm just thinking about right now, just right now. Jesus showed in five seconds from now. How would you feel about it? Didn't happen. Got lucky. Last group of people that are here this morning, I think, you know, you're like, I'm not sinning. I'm trying to do what Jesus wants me to do. And here's my encouragement for you. It's just, it's quite simple. 
become more and more of a person. Maybe you already are. Become more and more of a person. It's like, I just really want Jesus to come back. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm pumped for it. I'm looking forward to it. The greatest day that I ever live will be the last day that I ever live because Jesus and I, we're cool, we're tight. I'm looking forward to interacting with him at a greater level. And so for some of you, this is just encouragement. Keep going down the same path. Keep developing that relationship with God and do your absolute best to just be more and more excited about his return, to really learn more and more to wait for God in an active way. Will you pray with me? God, I know that there's people in front of me right now who are not waiting for you. Maybe it's because they're sinning and they just haven't thought about you coming back recently and they just haven't cared. Maybe it's because they've never given their lives to you and they, they are like, yeah, I'll do it someday. I got time. I'm young. And Lord, this morning, I just, I just want you to just fill them up to just move in their spirits. I want you, Lord, to to touch them in a new way. To draw them to a different place. To bring them to salvation. God, we believe that it is your Spirit who leads us to repentance, Lord. Your Word tells us that it's by your kindness. And this morning there are people here, God, in our midst that needs your kindness to lead us to repentance, Lord. So for those, Lord, who are are sitting here today, just right in front of me that don't know you, bring them to salvation. And for those, Lord, that that do know you, but there's just things in their lives that, that are no good, I pray that they'd change their life. And, and then instead of like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'll go to heaven someday, they would start to wait for you. Lord, I, I, it's a sobering message that you left us, and I trust that you did it out of your love. That you spoke that truth knowing that, that people sometimes just needed to be scared in heaven. Not always, Lord. I mean, much of your ministry was spent just loving people and being kind to people. But, but Lord, sometimes people need to be scared into heaven. And I pray that you'd scare people into heaven today by your, by your grace. Lord, I pray nobody would leave here without making a decision to remove sin, to start doing what you've called them to do, to give their lives to you, God, so that they can eat waffles someday with you, Lord. Pray these things in your name. Amen.